The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Tristan Pantorado, Wilshire, White Wind Wolf L, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito Benito, Alex Olson, and Pixelav. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Mike, I can, I can safely say that I was thinking a lot about the alphabet in the last week, and we have the letter C, we have the letter K. I think that we can get rid of the letter Q, and no one would care. Well, what about... Yeah, you know what? That's probably fine. And we're live, Neil. We are live. Oh. Oh, Mike, well, thank you so much for joining me today, and I'm glad that we could agree that the letter Q is a useless letter. <laughs> Welcome back to Canada, though. You've been in England the last... Uh, you were there a couple of days, so we've been, we haven't talked in a few weeks. How was your trip? It was great. There were an abundance of cues in England, so you know, I mm. uh, don't love that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was no, it was, a, it was a really good time. Really enjoyed myself. H- have never been to London, England before, so that was uh, very nice to enjoy across the pond. Uh, almost getting hit by cars constantly because oh, yeah. we learned that pedestrians do not have the right of way in London, England. Mm. As, uh, I appreciate that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and also looking from like left and uh, like looking both ways when you cross the street is a weird concept because you don't actually look both ways when you cross the street normally you only look the way that where like a car would be coming once you kind of get off the curb so in canada you're always looking right right yeah that's a good point why'd they teach us to look both ways when we cross the street in case there's like an idiot driving on the wrong side of the road (laughs) in case we go to london england (laughs) so we're we're ready so yeah that Mm -hmm. was that was funny to actually look both ways and never really know when i was supposed to cross (laughs) but i uh pub on every corner love that i I love like just the the localness and like the familial style of pubs in in england uh that's Mm -hmm. something that we really don't have in north america just like the local haunts like this is where everyone goes regardless like it doesn't matter about like drinking alcohol or anything it's just like this is where you go Um, and that and people have been going there for hundreds of years like it's not like in in toronto where you have like real sports outside of the (laughs) scotia bank that's like this place has been here for 10 years no like there's pubs in the uk that have been there since like like for 400 years i know yeah yeah like every every pub is like well this new pub built in the late 1800s (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so much to see obviously london is an amazing amazing city to to explore uh taking the transit there like taking the the underground the tube um is just fantastic and when you come back to toronto uh and take the ttc here it is just so depressing (laughs) yeah i know other countries have have public transit way better than we do so Uh, better yeah it's it's bad but uh you were in london the entire time Mm -hmm. so you obviously didn't get to see the rest of england so what were some of like what were like the top three places that you saw you went to some stores or some famous streets yeah okay yeah so um i'd say victoria albert museum is a really really cool place it is absolutely massive just a huge Mm -hmm huge museum with everything you can think of in there and a lot of design stuff which i like uh hmm. and i think one of my favorite places was the sherlock holmes the sherlock holmes museum uh hmm. it's a really cool okay. place it's actually on baker street you know where sherlock is in his uh in the actual books and everything and uh, it's mm-hmm. at the same address so it's kind of funny it makes you feel like he is a real person 
and yeah. the the whole tour of it was really cool like that but what made the price of admission so uh so good was the fact that there was someone with us who was dead set convinced that Sherlock Holmes existed and it got really awkward because he, he was asking, you know, the, the, the tour guide is dressed as like a Victorian maid. So in that, that sure. time frame and the, all the stuff in the museum is stuff that he would have used, you know, in the, in the late uh, 1800s. And mm-hmm. it's it, like, they're all like, they're not replicas, they're real things. And mm-hmm. uh, this guy was like, so, you know, wow, where, like, are these things that he actually used? And she's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, like playing it up. And then he's like, yeah. oh, where, like, where's the portrait of him? And uh, <laughs> he's like, she's like, upstairs, I guess. Like, I guess it's in like, the other. <laughs> and so he comes upstairs and he's asking me where it is. And, you know, I was just saying, oh, like, that's, I mean, that is a portrait of him. But like, and he's like, is that what he actually looks like? I was like, well, you know, <laughs> it's he's not he's a not real not man real person. Like it's, uh, Oh my gosh. And he was like, no, no, no. I thought he wasn't real, but then someone told me he is real. And so like, oh, that's God. why I'm that here. Is, I've never had that experience as an adult. That's like, <laughs> maybe, maybe like when you're a kid, like the last time you experienced that is the last kid in class to know Santa is not real. Um, this is like way worse than that though, because these are grown people. It doesn't help though, that like, this is the only one that I can think of where it's like the only fictional character where you can go visit their house. Like you can it go is. to yeah. like Anne Frank's house or like some other historical figures house and see like Anna their Green bathroom and their bedroom. was the one thing I thought of. Yeah. Yeah, that too. That's a good point. Yeah, like there's just so many f- like nonfiction houses that you can go to that like there's just this one wrench thrown into the whole system that like just throws off everything. It's hilarious. <laughs> I wonder if he went to the Harry Potter Museum after that. Thinking that's real too. And then that whole that whole mystery just got wiped out of his out of his brain. Well, there was a guide upstairs who because he <laughs> after he didn't believe me, then he went upstairs to talk to the guide. And the guide was, you know, he was doing his best. He was like, well, he's whatever you believe in. Like, if you believe he's real. And so he was doing a good job to, like, make it feel, like, immersive. But after about 10 minutes of talking to him, he kind (laughs) of broke down and was like, look, dude, he's he's not real. It's like, you know, it's 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 based on people that Arthur Conan Doyle knew and and, and based on his life as well, of course. But like Sherlock Holmes, that person did not exist. So uh, me and and and, uh, the group that we were with um, from the show, Kirsten, of course, with us as well uh, on that mm-hmm. uh, tour, uh, we we had a good laugh. Uh, <laughs> while, so funny while that was happening. So that was a definite highlight. And I'd say the oh, number man. three one was the Sky Garden, which is an amazing mm-hmm. restaurant in the Walkie Talkie Building uh, of okay. of London. It's like this. All, all London skyscrapers have fun names, and I like that, like the Shard, the Eye. Uh, and mm. then, of course, yeah, the walkie-talkie building, which is like this literally looks like a walkie-talkie that kind of goes cool. over near the Tower of London and you could see everything. And this it's like a an actual garden way up there on the on the, the top mm. floor. Very, very cool. And it's an amazing restaurant is up there where we had some of the best food we've ever eaten. And it was a saw, fantastic yeah. time. Saw some of that British pub crawl food that you had there. That looked really good. Just stuff that you don't get around here, too. Yeah. Again, comparing London to Toronto is like, it's so easy to do. But like around here, it's like, yeah, you got fish and chips, you got wings. But I guess in London, you also have fish and chips. But you have other just, everything is just battered and fried. And it's <laughs> yeah. it's so good. Oh, man. I, I can't wait to go to England someday for the first time. And Oh, well, you've been to the UK, so. I've been, I've been to Ireland and Scotland. Yeah. yeah, I'm just missing out on England. But yeah, like the buildings there, like the walkie-talkie building, like you said. Like in Toronto, everything is just named after a company. Yeah. <laughs> like the CN Tower, the TD building, the RBC building. We don't it's, have good nicknames very... for anything. 
Not really. Uh, what, what's the CN Tower? Just the needle? Is that is that a real nickname, or is mm. that something that we just call it? I think that might be something fake. I don't think that's real. Like Sherlock mm. Holmes, I don't think that's real. <laughs> the CN Tower is not real. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it before, Neil, in real life. Prove me wrong. Have you ever seen the CN Tower and Sherlock Holmes in the same room at the same time? That's right. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> But Michael, you've been away. I've been I've been in a bit of a pop punk oasis over here, man. It's been it's been pretty good. Ooh. We got a new Simple Plan album that came out. That's been a, that was a lot of fun. Uh, really enjoying that. And I saw Avril Lavigne uh, just a couple of days ago in Toronto for the first time ever for me. I don't think she's played in Toronto in like a decade, which is nuts. Wow, that's great. I mean, I know she wasn't touring for a while because she had Lyme disease and she was recovering. Yeah. And then and married to Chad Kroger, of course, that must have taken a toll on her health. That takes a big mental health toll for <laughs> sure. And, uh, and and you know she's she's come back out she's got a new punk album out uh mm-hmm. very very pop punk and uh yeah i'm glad you got to see her yeah me too it was the most high school feeling i've had in a very long time sure. just because the audience there was it was our people like it was people from high school everyone was dressed like it was 2006 again <laughs> it was basically high school but like just everyone was slightly bald and had tattoos that's kind of the best way i could describe that show but a ton of fun uh, i've also been uh, enjoying hot wheels unleashed finally picked that Ooh, came up yes. on ps4 Dude, it's so good. I can't wait for you to to try this game. And, of course, I'm very good at pointing out games that are similar to F-Zero because we don't get F-Zero games anymore. Mm -hmm. If anybody out there is looking for something to scratch that F-Zero itch, Hot Wheels Unleashed is pretty darn close. It, It has that feeling. So it's fast. Like, it's frenetic. The cars are awesome. I love collecting the little cars. Uh, it's just a ton of fun. I'm only maybe four hours into it. I've only had it for about two days, but, uh, I'm already at least 20 to 25% done. I'm trying to go for the platinum trophy since I got it on PS4. So going to try and do everything I can in this game because it is so darn good. That's amazing. That's really, really good to hear because I, I, I had my doubts a little bit. I think, um, it looked good. Like the game looked good. I remember seeing trailers. Um, but I, you know, I don't trust, I really honestly just don't trust anyone anymore for for game development. So you never know. (laughs) Things can look a lot better than they actually are. So that is really, really nice to hear. Yeah, I, I was very blown away with how good it was because I just took a flyer on it. Like I realized that the EB Games or the GameStops near us were like, yeah, we have no copies or we got there's one copy up in Barrie. So like <laughs> this game is quickly becoming hard to find. So I just wanted to buy it when I could. And there was an Amazon seller who had it. So I was like, OK, I'm just going to buy this now before it becomes impossible to find. Awesome. But uh, I'm kind of enjoying these like fun games, like games that are like I don't need gritty realism. I don't need, you know. God of War and Last of Us every single time. I'm kind of down to just play some Hot Wheels and yeah. Lego and KO the Kangaroo games. I think that's where I'm going to probably spend more of my time in the AAA space or in the new game space at least. Uh, and then the last thing I've been up to is I ran a 10K last weekend, which was a ton of fun. First in-person run nice. in two years thanks to COVID. I realized I'm in way better shape than I thought I was. I finished 243rd out of 10,409 people. Wow, that's amazing, Neil. That's congratulations yeah. on that. That is, thank I, you. I felt like I did a 10k by walking four <laughs> days in London and hitting 30,000 oh, yeah. steps every day, but uh, mm. but you did it all in one day and ran it, and you finished in like the what, like top 2.5 percent of people. So yeah. that's amazing. Yep. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, crushed it. Supported a great cause, Campfire Circle in uh, in Ontario. Uh, so that was a lot of fun, and yeah, that was uh, it was really cool to get back out there and see some people running. But uh, Mike, we got a we got we got an update from Nintendo as well in the last few weeks. I think it's time for our NFT segment, the Nintendo Financial Times. A little NFT for me. 
Hmm, yes, that's right. Or Neil's Financial Times, if you will. But <laughs> no, we finally got some, an, an update on the Nintendo Switch. It has officially shipped 1.7.65 million units uh, since its launch in 2017, meaning that it has, it has surpassed the PlayStation by 9 million, and it's uh, it's not too far off from the PlayStation 4 now. Mm-hmm. Um, Nintendo has stated that uh, it plans to ship another 21 million units in this financial year, which ends in March of 2023. And if Nintendo manages to achieve this goal, it means that they will have surpassed 128 million units. Uh, so, Mike, we are we are quickly approaching PlayStation 2 numbers with the Nintendo Switch. Uh, but you have some stats on the game sales, so why don't you hit us with the top 10 best-selling Nintendo Switch games? I do, Neil, yes. And they really haven't changed uh, too much. We do have Mario Kart 8 clocking in at number one, as it probably always will be forever on every mm-hmm. Nintendo console. <laughs> Hitting 45 million. Uh, uh, Animal Crossing at 38 million. Smash Bros, Breath of the Wild, and Sword and Shield all stayed around the same amounts, almost identical, which I thought was really interesting. We'll talk about that a bit later. We also have Super Mario Odyssey. We have Super Mario Party. We have Diamond and Pearl, the new Pokemon or the remastered Pokemon games or remade ones. Mm. Uh, and Ring Fit Adventure is still at number 10. So no change oh, in the, the numbers. But I thought it was interesting, Neil, that we have quite like quite a bit of a rise with Mario Kart 8 and Animal Crossing as we do selling about 3 million more each uh, last quarter. But the same numbers for basically mm. everything else because we haven't really yeah. gotten a lot of new games and these are like some of the original games that came out in 2017 2018 yeah i know i think that a lot of people are still just buying the switch for their kid or for themselves and they buy they buy mario kart and they buy i guess animal crossing as well Mm. i still don't understand the massive appeal for animal crossing but hey good on you good on you out there uh but i think that a lot of people are just buying the switch to to play the downloadable games which nintendo does not track by the way so yes. this only counts physical sales which we have to make a point of so i think that a lot of folks out there are buying this game buying this console for their kids and then maybe downloading games because you know it's these little cartridges uh, if your kids are young i'm not going to trust them with this 400 machine plus 90 dollars cartridges on the school bus or whatever like i'm just going to digitally buy sure. the games for them they don't have to swap them out they're not going to eat them they're not going to lose them because they're incredibly easy to lose so i think that's why we're seeing a stagnation with a lot of these uh a lot of these big games that are great but just aren't selling anymore yeah and i think with that you know um, this Christmas, maybe you know, like the holiday season, kind of feels like maybe the the, the end for the the switches we know it. And mm. I could see maybe a new console by holiday twenty twenty three. That's interesting that you say that because I was just reading today on uh, my Nintendo News, which is kind of like a, a roundup of all the news that there's actually rumors circulating now. This is by Ampere Analysis, and they've stated that it looks like twenty twenty four will be mm. the next console. So I think you're probably right that. End of 2023 is when we're going to start getting a lot of news about it, but I think yeah. it's going to be like the Switch, where we're going to get it early 2024. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, See, we're going to will that into existence, and maybe, <laughs> maybe with that, we'll get some kind of GameCube online service. But uh, <sighs> oof, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I know. Are you are you excited for the next console? Because I feel like two two more years of Switch, like I still feel like I could get another handful of games like at least i would like another five to ten more big hits like we have mario strikers coming out breath of the wild 2 i would like three more three to five more games in there yeah i'm not it's hard to say right it's really hard to say because playing the switch on my way to england on the plane uh Mm. i was kind of almost lamenting the fact i'm like you know i this is exactly what i did over five years ago basically at this point i played the switch i think in april of 2017 when i was flying somewhere and I was like, oh, like not much has changed. 
And I, I, I was almost like, you know what? I think I'm ready for something new. Like, definitely something more powerful. Definitely something a little, just a little yeah. better in every way. I know the, the there's the OLD model, obviously, but yep. that one doesn't... That one's more of, like, if you don't own the Switch, buy this. But if you, like, do own yeah. the Switch, there's no need to upgrade. And that was one of my... You know, I'm still a little salty about that uh, that model release mm-hmm. because that ha- Nintendo had a chance to actually make something as a stopgap solution rather than trying yeah. to make a whole new console. Because, to tell you the truth, I don't really need a whole new console. I just need a console that is an upgrade from everything that the Switch had in 2017. Right. I- I'm looking for something that can play third-party games way better. Like, yes. I did... I purposely did not buy the new Hot Wheels game on Switch because I knew it wasn't going to run well. I also wanted to collect trophies in it, but that's besides the point. I, I mean, I knew that's that, another like, thing, though, like like trophy yeah. achievements and stuff in, I know. on Nintendo hardware. Like, that's something to look into. It is a whole other thing. I, I kind of wish that, like, I had an excuse to buy the OLED model, honestly, because, like you said, we've had the Switch since day one in 2017. It's been five years. Yeah. And my Switch still works fine. Like, I, I, I don't feel good about buying a new console no, when same. the one that I have right now is still working okay. And, like, it's amazing that it's lasted as long as it has. Like you said, we've taken it on planes, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> we've we've taken it to cottages. We've swapped it in and out of docks. Like, we've been pretty heavy users of this of the system, and it's, it's held its own. I... I, I I have this like curse with all of my consoles. It's a good curse, but they never break. So like I always feel guilty about buying the next thing, like going from PS3 to PS4 even though my PS3 still works. I'm I'm holding out on the PS5 mainly because of chip shortages, but like I I kind of wish that my consoles would at least die out a little more often <laughs> so that I could feel better about upgrading, but Fair. 2024 I'm I'm probably going to be ready for the next uh for the next Nintendo console and we'll be there day 1, of course. Of course, of course. And we thought when we were there day 1 that that was going to be the last day 1 ever. So yeah, we'll see what this day one brings us. But, Neil, we do have a Patreon topic today on our uh, big May episode. Mm-hmm, that's right, Mike. We have PixelWav who uh, who sent us in a question today. PixelWav wants to know, in your opinion, what is the golden age of Nintendo handhelds? Uh, and then in brackets, we have favorite Nintendo handheld generation, bracket, excluding the Switch. Course, so yeah. no more Switch talk. We're talking about exclusively handheld consoles. Sure, and that's a great question because... For me, I think Game Boy Advance in that period of like maybe mm. like 2002 to 2006 era, we get the, yeah. you know, we actually have three handhelds in this time. We get the Game Boy Advance, we get the SP, uh, and mm-hmm. then we get the DS all within yeah. about four years. And so that was just amazing. And we obviously had some some great, great games that came out because th- the fact that you could play about 15 years of Game Boy games uh, with this amazing little machine uh, it's still incredible mm-hmm. to me, like the fact that you could play all these original Game Boy with those cartridges on the Game Boy Advance SP, because uh, that's the one that I remember the most. I did have the Game Boy Advance, but the SP was just such a better machine uh, yeah. for me, at least having that backlight. And uh, Game Boy Advance games at this time were honestly some of the best handheld games we've ever had. Like yes. Nintendo fully embraced the Game Boy Advance as a, this almost like a mini SNES, and mm-hmm. and this worked so much to their advantage in a huge way because it got people like. Like me and you as well, to an extent, to embrace these games in a much more comprehensive way than we we ever could have done playing, you know, an older brother's nest or something. 
Right. No, exactly. I, and I, I kind of go back and forth on the Game Boy Advance generation only because this is a, a question that I get a lot about, like, best generation of consoles, mm-hmm. and people always go to the Wii because, like, it's backwards compatible with the GameCube. It has the virtual console. And I always, like, don't like that argument because I, I always figure that the question is asking the console's library and not what it can play because you're sure. right. If you have a Game Boy Advance SP, you have everything basically from 2006 all the way back to 1989. Yeah. When, when the Game Boy came out. So from a hardware perspective, I definitely agree uh, that the Game Boy Advance is right up there. And also with the Game Boy Advance, the third-party output as well was incredible. Oh, so from good. From Konami, Capcom, uh, they were putting out incredible content at the same pace that Nintendo was. And when we talk about the DS, like I, I, I love the DS as much as the next person does. Nintendo was doing a good job at supporting it, but I honestly felt that like the third-party support was all shovelware yeah, on the DS. Yes. There was some standout ones, like Square Enix, they were also very good on the Game Boy Advance, and the DS, but uh, I just felt like that, like, from EA and Activision and Ubisoft, they were just putting out crap on on the DS. Uh, Compared to the Game Boy Advance, I felt like every time Nintendo put out a great game on the Game Boy Advance, there were three third-party developers putting out just as great a game. Like, we got Tony Hawk Pro Skater on the Game Boy Advance. That's the thing, is that, like, we've talked about a lot of these GameCube games, and especially the licensed ones, like you said, the third-party ones, most Mm -hmm. of them... The games are better on the Game Boy Advance than they are on the GameCube. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what – back to my point about how it was very much like a mini SNES. And, and developers knew that and could work within those limits very, very well. And honestly, if I was a developer, I would actually have a lot of fun making some of these Game Boy Advance games because it's not yeah. as high stakes, for one. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can kind of go back to your roots. I'm sure most of these developers at this time played uh, 8-bit and 16-bit games. So they knew right. the, that industry so well that that's one of the reasons they can make these these games so good. Yeah, and they age incredibly well. We've talked a lot about oh, about sure. We've talked a lot about that with you know two D games, of course. But if you're talking about hardware for me, like I think that Game Boy Advance is probably the golden era of uh, Nintendo handheld libraries. But I think in terms of the hardware itself, what it can do, I honestly think the DS Lite was the peak for Nintendo handheld consoles mm. because. It just feels incredible to hold. I have a DS Lite. It's really nice. It can play Game Boy Advance games, and it can play DS games. Unfortunately, it can't play Game Boy games, which is a miss. But at the end of the day, like for me, you are missing out on a lot of great games. Like You're missing out on Pokemon and, and Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow. And you're missing out on some really good Mario games and some puzzle games. But uh, like I, I feel like that like I would only... Personally, I'd only really be missing maybe 10 or 15 games, but sure. I would be missing way more uh, Game Boy Advance games. And the DS is a great console. You can collect, you can connect to the internet, you can play with friends, you've got a really good Mario Kart on there. You've even got some N64 remakes there too with Mario, uh, Super Mario 64. So yeah. D- DS Lite is probably my favorite Nintendo uh, handheld console of all time. But yeah, Game Boy Advance, that 2002 to 2006 era was so darn good so 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 good and yeah even having the ds come out and like being able to bear witness to when the ds came out was actually really cool Mm -hmm. like i i vividly remember someone on my hockey team getting a ds and everyone crowding around him and watching (laughs) him like play super mario 64 on these two little screens yeah, I remember the exact same thing too, and it wasn't. It was Spider Man Two. It wasn't even like a great <laughs> DS game, but yeah, everyone everyone loved that console yeah. when it first came out. That was really a fun time bringing your consoles to hockey practices. <laughs> Man, it was very cool. But yeah, thank you yeah. very much, Pixel for that great question. We always like talking about the Game Boy Advance and just you know handheld consoles in general because the GameCube, uh, it's close to a handheld console. There's a handle <laughs> on it. 
Yeah, I got it. I can't stand that <laughs> argument at all. And remember, listeners, if you want to support the show, you can always go to Patreon.com. Supporters at the $5 level get their names read in the credits and the option to submit an opening topic. But, Mike, there is a free way to, be, uh, to have your message read on the air. So I think it's time that we bring back our favorite segment for today's big episode. Yeah, let's do it, Neil. Let's talk about the mail mailbag. Bag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so by leaving us a message on any social media platform of your choice, or you can leave us a review on wherever you listen to us on. Just like Mike, who wrote into us today. Ryan Finley Films on Instagram gave us a little quick note here saying, I just found y'all and I am loving y'all's podcast. Do you think Ryan is from the South? I love the amount of y'alls in there. That's really cool. Big fan of y'alls. I'm a big supporter of it. But yes, thank you very much, Ryan, for letting us know that we're, we're doing an okay job. Dan Pettis on Instagram says, hello, guys. Keep up the great work on the pod. I love to listen to it. Awesome. Awesome. And Dan did also submit his top 30 Nintendo games of all time, uh, which is just another another reminder to our listeners that you can still do that. We are going to have that for the 100th episode. That's going to be a fun time, Neil. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a really fun time. Two more weeks of that, by the way. So please send us your list of top 30 best Nintendo developed or published games, and we will uh, include them in that episode. That's right. That's right. And we do have a two-star uh, review on Apple Podcasts here. Oh, no. Oh, yes, Neil. Stripeless <laughs> on Apple Podcasts US wrote in saying, good content. But don't get me wrong, these guys are fun to listen to, but they frequently get the facts wrong about video games and popular media. I'm a big GameCube fan, and I love hearing about this stuff, but nearly 100 episodes in, the show still feels rough. It's okay not to have exhaustive knowledge about everything gaming, but the hosts have too many off-the-cuff statements about topics they don't fully understand or really care to explore. Dissenting opinions are fine, but poor fact-checking has me rolling my eyes frequently. I would like to stick with the show, but these two guys need to take a more impartial approach to their content. Neil, um, how would you like to respond mm. to that? Uh, well, I mean, Stripeless, thank you so much for the uh, the feedback. Obviously, we really appreciate it. Um, first of all, thank you so much for listening to us for 100 episodes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, found th- I found that part interesting that, like, we do get facts wrong, and we do notice these things when we edit. We also try and uh, correct ourselves when we go back a few weeks later if we happen to turn up something. You can also message us when we get things wrong, too, because I love to get feedback getting that we got something wrong. I just would prefer it if you told us what we got wrong yes. so that we can correct it. Uh, it'd be really great. We're glad to hear that you like the show and you like my and I talking to each other, please do not hesitate to let us know when we get something wrong because we like to talk about our memories of these games. We like to, we're, we're celebrating media, games media and media in general, Sherlock Holmes, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please, like if we got something wrong that irked you the wrong way, like let us know. We'll be glad to read your comment on the show and like we're, I'm more than happy to get corrected uh, on any episode, really. Like I love this stuff and I don't want to I don't want to misconstrue any information, but uh, thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah, give us some proper feedback, please. (laughs) Please. (laughs) And I mean, you know, uh, they say that we need to take a more impartial approach with the content. And frankly, Neil, I politely disagree. Uh, I think the show... What does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) Well, impartial, I think in the way that like we want to review the games and talk about the games without being too biased. But like, you know, we we are, we're going to take a very subjective lens. This is a podcast, not a Wikipedia article, you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of my, uh, and that's kind of one of the things that we strive to do on this show is that we don't want to talk about just uh, generic facts about everything and and have that impartial. I I think part of the, the uh, appeal to our show is the fact that we do have opinions and sometimes there's strong opinions that people might disagree with and that's fine. Now we can get, get it talking, message us, say, Hey, I 
think you're wrong. I think all RPGs are amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, you can, I mean, our opinions can be, like, if we get a fact wrong, that's definitely something that you can correct us on. And, we, like, I'm a huge fan of Did You Know Gaming on YouTube. That's not what we want to do here. That's like, right. that is just fact after fact after fact. I love those videos, but I am much more interested in talking to my best friend about our memories of the early 2000s and GameCube and bringing on some people from all around the world to talk about their memories mm -hmm. of playing Zelda to, like, random games like Serious Sam. Uh, that's more what this is. It's just like a, a time capsule, if you will, of, of games. And we try to keep the facts fairly light. We like to include a few, but uh, yeah, that's kind of, in a nutshell, our response to that. But thank you so much, Stripeless, for leaving us, a, leaving us a review nonetheless. That's right. And we do have one more review, a very lovely positive review here to end off. Okay, sounds good. Doomer Zan, Apple Podcast, gave us a five-star review. Hmm. Fun, educational, and comprehensive. Ooh. The GameCube is Cool podcast is always fun and encouraging to tune into, despite the fact that I grew up with the Xbox 360 and later the 3DS. I've always loved retro games, and even though I'm primarily a fan of the Dreamcast and Sega Saturn, it's fun to learn about all the fantastic cult classics that landed on this system, with their reception, influence, development history, and gameplay. And I love how you try to incorporate other people's experiences into the show it's all super fun and engaging and i feel like i have a full viewpoint of every game when each episode ends i will definitely be, be returning to the gamecube soon to play through hitman time splitters and eternal darkness nice i hope you have fun on the rest of your journey and thank you for your hard work see doomerzan basically just described exactly what we just talked about <laughs> yeah, thank you very much doomerzan i was that i i read that um a while ago when when they they sent it in and that uh, really touched my heart i i really like that um that review a lot and it's nice yeah. to to hear that um they'll be playing through hitman time splitters eternal darkness ones that we talk about a lot and we love those games and you don't hear it well, I guess Eternal Darkness you hear a lot on like the GameCube yeah. world, but you don't hear about those games in just mainstream video game chatter. So it was, it's it's always nice to kind of bring that out for people. Yeah, it is. And that concludes our mailbag segment for today. So thank you so much, everybody, for writing in. We will return to this segment for episode 100 when we talk about Super Mario Strikers. So send us in your letters between now and then. This episode of the GameCube was Cool podcast is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Sweaty sack summer is approaching, and it's time for you to prioritize the comfort of your crotch. That's why the kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. I've had the honor of testing out these new boxers, and I can say it's the softest fabric of any underwear. So breathable that it's like gills for your groin. They even trademarked the jewel pouch, so you know it's serious. I think it's time you invest in your family jewels. So, let your bulge breathe and get 20% off plus free shipping using the code GAMECUBE at manscaped.com. In high school, I was a connoisseur of boxers with interesting graphics in order to impress nobody but myself. From Scooby-Doo to Guitar Hero themed underwear, my boxer collection was in desperate need of a comfortable and functional pair of shorts that told people I was a competent person and not a 16-year-old who definitely still watched cartoons and was not impressing my peers with my Donkey Konga skills at parties. Let's say you're on a date and your partner catches that manscaped on your waistband of your underwear. It's almost guaranteed to raise some eyebrows and act like a billboard on the highway to Pleasure Town. These boxer features include the jewel pouch, a pouch designed to cradle your boys in their own special space, lined with perforated performance fabric to keep them well ventilated. Basically, just imagine your balls sipping pina coladas chilling on a hammock on some tropical beach. The micro-modal fabric is buttery soft and breathable, keeping your cucumber cool. Walk, run, strut. 
These moisture wicking boxers breathe without breaking a sweat. The tagless waistband hugs your body without digging in, and it lays flat against your skin to reduce chafing. The front fly opening gives easy access and makes bathroom breaks quick and efficient. I'm a big fan of that. You can choose from an arrangement of designs and colors like it's the N64 era, and sizes ranging from small to 3XL for all of my guys out there. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code GAMECUBE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code G-A-M-E-C-U-B-E at manscaped.com. Once the Boxers 2.0s touch your sack, you'll never go back. And now, back to the show. But now, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 97 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 434 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And Donkey Kong helped just a tad. Oh, did Diddy Kong help too? No, he's lazy. Oh, oh, that, <laughs> he's that just bastard. eating bananas. <laughs> Last week we talked about Turok, Freedom Fighters, Red Faction, and a few other shooters on the GameCube. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week we are talking about some of the rhythm and music games on the GameCube. We're talking about Donkey Konga One and Two, Karaoke, and a dance game on the GameCube. All of these games were released, Mike, between September 2004 and November of 2005. Oh, yeah. This was a time and place for sure, Neil. You can, oh, man. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's crazy. No, the, the rhythm and dance and, and music game boom of the early to mid-2000s, I'll say, was a really interesting time to be alive for us. Like, it was right around that middle school, early high school era for us. Like, you can't not talk about uh, Rock Band and Guitar Hero in today's episode, of course. Uh, but I guess we can jump back. Uh, what are some of your memories on rhythm and music games back in the day? I mean, my initial memories, I think, that this, most people had were in arcades. I mean, mm -hmm. DDR was primarily played in, like, the movie theater arcades, I swear. Yeah. That was where I would, would always see them in. And I had a lot of fun playing them. I, I had a couple friends who had DDR, like, the game pads. And those were mm -hmm. fun to play at parties and stuff like that. Uh, I, I wasn't that into them. I more got into the the music side of things i actually got the wii because my dad got me a bundle uh like the guitar hero 3 bundle uh with the wii nice. and because he was like oh my son likes music like he'll like this <laughs> and i knew about guitar hero obviously but it wasn't on any nintendo consoles so of mm -hmm. course when it came to the wii i was like oh my god yes like let's do this and i was i think like everyone was really into guitar hero and rock band for probably four solid years there four or five solid yeah. years and it was amazing like i had a great time playing it i still like playing guitar hero when i go to like um niagara falls there's a uh, arcades there or you can find them uh all around but sometimes at like a dave and busters they'll have a a guitar hero machine and uh it is mm -hmm. fun to to play and uh and beat some little kids you know <laughs> and they, they have like the real guitar hero machines the, yeah like, where the guitar has like it has some weight to it it's not like a hollow plastic shell yeah. of a guitar yeah yeah that's some good stuff. Yeah, I have very similar memories to you where these games were very much connected to Palladium, which is a huge arcade in Mississauga where we lived. Uh, and we played, you know, DDR. And Guitar Hero came way later. And it wasn't Guitar Hero. I forget what the game was called. Um, but, yeah, I used to play a ton of those games because it was just so much fun to, like, you know, tap the arrows on the screen. And then the character on screen does what you're doing, basically. Uh, and eventually, once these games started to get ported to home consoles, kind of reminds me, actually, of, like, 
like arcade games of the 70s and 80s, like Pac-Man getting ported to the Atari 2600, kind of the same cycle, if you will, like people getting those arcade ports at home. And like you said, these games weren't on GameCube, unfortunately, specifically Guitar Hero and DDR. Uh, so I used to ask friends, like I had friends on in, in junior high school and on baseball teams and hockey teams, if I knew that they had a PS2 and DDR, I used to ask them to bring their console and their dance mats or guitars to, to my house. <laughs> and we would set them up and play them in my basement because it was just so cool and I couldn't play it on GameCube. So that's what I have memories of, just asking friends to bring over like consoles, which... We don't do that anymore, that's for damn sure, uh, but it's just an interesting thought. Like That's something that we used to do. Yeah, it's the, the, the Asia peripherals, for sure, uh, mm-hmm. in, that, uh, in that era, and of course with yeah. some DK bongos, too, and uh, oh, yeah. uh, I still don't have DK bongos. <laughs> I'll have to borrow yours when I'm going to play through Jungle Beat. You can definitely pick up my bongos, absolutely. <laughs> I've got mine in a set. I got the Donkey Kong, Jungle Beat, and the bongos in a set a couple of years ago. I think I paid $80 for the whole thing. It's gone up a little bit since then. It's just a really neat peripheral with the GameCube. We're going to talk a lot about that in a little bit. But, Mike, one thing that I think a lot about when I think of music games, specifically from this era, is I think of I think of the main thing is legal uh, accusations and legal issues. Sure, yeah. Uh, specifically due to gameplay copyrights, like with uh, MC Groove versus In the Groove. <laughs> music ownership is a huge issue with game music and games. Yeah. Uh, basically, everyone got sued at one point by Gibson because a lot of these games used... Uh, not original music, but they used cover songs, specifically the first two Guitar Hero games and a few of the DDR games, I believe, were cover songs, which were apparently owned by Gibson. So they basically sued everybody at one point. Mm. And then musician likenesses is another was another huge issue, or at least controversy back in the day, especially with musicians who had passed away. I think of uh, Kurt Cobain in, uh, that was Guitar Hero... This is a fact I'm going to get wrong here. He's in one of the games. I think it's it might be World Tour or Guitar Hero yeah. 3. But uh, yeah, I think Courtney Love, his uh, his ex-partner, was uh, not for his likeness being used in the game in certain scenarios where he's you know, playing with musicians that he never would have played with or in environments that she didn't want to see him in. So it's just a really messy situation with these games. And it's a huge reason why uh, the whole business kind of shut down. One of many reasons why the whole business shut down, but also why we don't see these games ported to, to future hardware is because of all of these licensing rights yeah yeah that's fair yeah and yeah there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't really exist that much anymore but one of the main Mm -hmm. companies that kind of pushed everything through was harmonics and there is a harmonics game on the gamecube not a rock band unfortunately no, no, we did not get Rock Band. I still really wish that we got Rock Band. It made me buy a PS2 just for Rock Band. But yeah, Harmonix is a Boston, uh, Massachusetts established company back in 1995, May of 95. So happy birthday to them. Uh, they're well known for Dance Central and Rock Band, as well as being the creators for Guitar Hero before the company was eventually sold to Activision and then made by Neversoft, the Tony Hawk games, who make the Tony Hawk games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harmonix has developed 44 games, uh, first one being Frequency on PS2, which is kind of like the prequel to Amplitude. I haven't played either of those games, but I know that they are they were a pretty big deal back in the PS2 generation with those folks. Yep. The most recent game being Fuser on PS4, Xbox One, and Switch, which is basically a DJ simulator, so they're still making Amplitude. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Amplitude <laughs> is basically that. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> but they've been bought and sold uh, several times over the years, uh, most recently Viacom in 2006 
and then they were sold back to Harmonix SBE Holdings in 2010. And then finally, they were actually bought by Epic Games about two years ago, and they currently work on Fortnite and other projects, uh, including Fuser, I suppose. So from Amplitude in 2003 to Rock Band in 2008, Harmonix was like a household name. They were they were pretty legit. They were. They honestly were. And, you know, like Harmonix is a really, really interesting company to just dive into. We obviously can't do it justice here on this podcast. Uh, I'm sure there's people have talked about it way more in depth. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there as well that kind of go into the rise and fall of just the like the music game genre. There was even the Wii music. That's one that I just remember too that that I had. Yeah, like Wii music. That was an interesting. <laughs> you had one. that? Yeah, someone got it for me for <laughs> Christmas, and like I played it a little bit, but it wasn't the thing with the Guitar Hero. Would just it was so you were so there was so much more immersion in that, and like uh, uh, Guitar Hero Three especially, which is so much fun to play. I think in our one of our whatever we do after this pod, we have to do a Guitar Hero centered podcast because there's so much information on that series, yeah. uh, and just it being bought out by Activision was the whole split, which is how Rock Band came about. But we can talk about that in a later episode. That's a whole different story. Then it's very interesting to uh, to talk about. But yeah, we will do a Guitar Hero centered episode <laughs> at some point in the future. Really hyped to talk about that because we both have a very soft spot for that franchise. But why don't we talk about some of the rhythm games and music games that we did get on the GameCube? That's right, Neil. But before we do, we have a guest joining us today. We have a friend of the show, Kira. She was last on for the Mario Kart Double Dash episode. We had a great time talking to her about that. And our first question to you today, Kira, is what is your favorite song from the Donkey Konga's soundtracks? You can pick two. You can pick one from Donkey Konga 1 and one from Donkey Konga 2. Well, thanks again for having me, guys. It's great to be back. Um, I also appreciate the opportunity to pick two songs because I think it may be impossible to pick only one because both games have a pretty killer soundtrack. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so from number one, after going through the list, I'm going to have to go with Busy Child by The Crystal Method. Okay. And Ooh, for nice. number two, Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Yes, nice. and that was what I, I figured was going to be your number one. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep, no, no question there. That that one was pretty impactful. There is nothing better than playing some of these like hit songs with your bongas and just hitting, you know, <laughs> just going ham, especially on like yeah stuff like losing my religion. Just a a, a non bongo song. <laughs> oh, there's so few it's bongo so songs. There's so few. I know, <laughs> but it just it's just funny like to think of, and and I I loved I loved playing that. But uh, Neil, why don't you give us the 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 stats of both these games to start off? Sure thing. Donkey Konga One was released on September twenty seventh, two thousand four, one year after Japan got this game in two thousand three. The game was developed by Namco, published by Nintendo. This is a GameCube exclusive. It's priced today at around $40. That does not include the bongos. Rates a 7.5 out of 10. This is, of course, a rhythm game. And then we had Donkey Konga 2, released eight months later on May 9th, 2005. Developed again by Namco, published again by Nintendo. Again, a GameCube exclusive. Priced today at around $30. This is a 7 out of 10. And and it's another rhythm game. They basically, they, they sold us DLC at full price. <laughs> Where are you guys getting these prices? eBay. Yeah, yeah, basically eBay. What what you could find. And we go to our local game stores and we'll kind of compare it with that sometimes. But yeah, those are the relative prices in, in Canada, at least for, for the Donkey Kongas. And the bongos themselves, if you wanted to buy just the drum kit, you're looking at like $30 for like an out-of-the-box, basic, beaten-up uh, kit, if you want to call it that, to $130 if you're getting that inboxed, completely brand new uh, set of drums to annoy your, your friends and family with. It's a real question. How many bongo sets do you guys say is optimal 
because you can plug mm. in up to a certain amount, but is it really optimal to have all of the bongos at the same time? Or is there somewhere in between one and four? That's a great question. <laughs> I own one. I feel like one's enough for me, but I feel like if you're looking for the ultimate Donkey Konga experience, you need to have at least two. I would skip three because that's just an odd amount. I think you're going to go for two or four. Four is too much. I think four is mm. a little too much. Two is two. You feel you feel uh, you feel feel very you know elevated almost. You know when you have two bongo sets. I saw a YouTube video of a guy playing four-player multiplayer yeah. by himself. I saw that. <laughs> that was awesome. Where where, where were his friends? Though? It's, a, it's a great party game. Did nobody want to bongo back? That's very sad. Impressive. How many bongos do you think is optimal there, Kira? Yeah. So that's an interesting question because when I started off, um, I actually had five sets somehow. I'm what? still not sure how. Why? Um, after retiring those and repurchasing it for a significantly worse price than what you described, Ah, I'm mm. down to two being the optimal amount. I think I only have one set right now, though. I actually need to double check. Please Mm. keep a close inventory on that because it is an interesting peripheral that Nintendo only used for four games, uh, three if you live in North America, Donkey Konga 3. We unfortunately won't be talking too much about today because that was only released in Japan. And it actually is, I think, the best of the three, unfortunately. I I think Europe and Japan got the better versions of these games and we kind of got, we got the North Americanized playlist, even though, like you said, Kira, it is a really good playlist of songs. I think that that's, that's fair. We have some Mighty Mighty Boss Stones in there. We have some R.E.M. in there, but... Donkey Konga 1 also has a set of songs that are like kind of, I guess, public domain songs as well. Did you ever play any of those like Happy Birthday or Row, Row, Row Your Boat? (laughs) You know what? I'm going to be honest. I very likely skip those because there's stuff like Luai Luai and it's like, I'm just going to go right for that. I'm going to skip the boats um, and the birthdays. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Rock Lobster is pretty much public domain. I mean, respect to the B-52s. I know it's not, but I mean, that's... Everyone knows Rock Lobster, so I mean, of course, I'll play that one. Yeah, of course, and I mean, so that's one of the great selections off of Donkey Konga One. We also have all the small things, dancing in the street. We have We Will Rock You, Whip It, Wild Thing, You Can't Hurry Love, the impression that I get. But in Europe, we got a couple of songs that we didn't get over here. We got two Jamiroquai songs. Uh, mm. Of course, he is British, or the band is British. Uh, we got Tub Thumping. By Chumbawamba. Oh. <laughs> Which would have been a really fun uh, song to play with the bongos. And we got amazing. 99 Red Balloons. Mm. <laughs> That's a great set list. Like, it is, it is amazing that they got all those songs. Now, the songs that they had in this game are kind of dated by the time this game came out. 2004, and only a handful of those songs came out after 2000. So... Nintendo behind the times on tech, on you know online gaming, also behind the times on track listings for songs. I believe the Pokemon theme is timeless, and I would like to meet Great. you in the parking lot to speak about that <laughs> if we have a difference of opinion. The Pokemon theme is everlasting. Was that in Donkey Konga 1? I'm trying to remember. It was in 1. That's right. Yes. Yep. Donkey Kong, it was in Donkey Konga 1. And uh, I'd say Don- I'd say Pokemon theme and Tub Thumping are, you know, right they're right there at the, the best songs ever made. Oh, yeah. Humankind will never, will never surpass <laughs> those two tracks by a mile. But I guess we should try and explain in a nutshell what Donkey Konga is mm-hmm. to the uninitiated. Because this game sold, these games sold less than a million units apiece. So, Kira, you're the guest of honor. Why don't you, in a nutshell, explain what Donkey Konga is? So Donkey Konga is if you played Dance Dance Revolution with your hands on some plastic (laughs) drums, but you also got the clap as part of your interaction. 
-hmm. as the notes stream across facing at you like enemies you slap left you slap right you slap both you slap the outside or you clap to make sure that each note is hit with precision to earn the maximum number of points to kind of dodgy versions of our most favorite songs that was a better back of the case than the actual back of the case. <laughs> you know what? You can tell I like the game. What can I say? I mean, I was sort of made for this episode. Uh, Man, that, that's, that's a terrific. perfect description. That's exactly what it is. And you mentioned like that was an interesting thing, right? Where it wasn't just uh, just hitting a peripheral. There were like the, the claps uh, that were thrown in there. There was like sitting the sides. Like that is something that I didn't really realize when I first saw this marketed you know in, in my mind it was just a, a ddr machine in that sense you're just you know tapping left and right all the time but there's a mm -hmm. lot more to it and i think that's what makes donkey konga really interesting especially in a multiplayer setting it's a shame it didn't sell more i'm surprised the numbers were that low but considering you did need that specific piece of hardware that may not have been accessible for parents because let's be real you can't reuse it for other games like you could a mad cats Shout yep. out Mad Cats. Um, <laughs> but realistically, the price range, I think, for this may have pushed it a little out. If they had included, like, smaller controllers and two of them, that could have been a game changer. Also, I think just putting drums in the hands of children is not something that parents want to do. <laughs> and even as an adult, like, it's an irritating game to have to have on. I only play this game when I'm home alone. I only ever played it when I was in the house by myself because I, I played rock band in high school. And I remember my dad freaking out one day because, like, I was just playing drums for, like, an hour. And he's like, will you please shut up? And, like, this game is worse than that because you're also clapping. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, actually, that's true if you think about it in that way, too. Yeah. I, I just, like, for me, uh, looking back, you know, at the time, I think there was – mixed reviews of this in terms of like you said ha making it a peripheral and having to have it to play this game but looking back there's a lot a lot of charm to this game and i think the fact that they were able to incorporate donkey kong's like bongos into a real life peripheral mm -hmm. and, and make a game out of it at uh, two three games technically is is pretty incredible like i can't think of like nintendo definitely would never ever ever do this today this is such a this is such a GameCube era thing. We've talked about this with so many different uh, games already. Now you know we ha we talked about it on Double Dash when we had Kira on about how Double Dash was such a reinvention of what Mario Kart was. This is another reinvention of just like using a mainstay Nintendo character and throwing him into a rhythm game and making bongos out of it. Like it's it's insane, but it's so cool and such a cool risk. Nintendo does like to take the risk, especially with movement, and this was yeah. one of the one of the first ones that I think really incorporated like different movements outside of what you traditionally do to play a game. And it's kind of it's kind of neat how they do lead the pack, like you're saying. It's very much a precursor to the Wii in my mind mm -hmm. for a lot of yeah. Like, like it's I mean all these games that we're going to be talking about today, uh, and because most of them are exclusive for the GameCube, you know they all were very much. Uh, the Wii before the Wii, and you can tell where Nintendo was going with their with their brand. I mean, this comes out in North America in 2004, and then, like Neil said, a couple months later, we get Donkey Konga 2 in 2005, uh, and the Wii, of course, comes out in 2006. So uh, the the trend was here for sure. And mm -hmm. but I, what I do find interesting is like the sales were low, but they still did want to push on to this this movement style of gameplay, which ended up defining the Wii generation. But they ended up going back to the classic Donkey Kong formula with the Wii. Uh, they they kind of set aside this this bongo gimmick and went back to Donkey Kong, uh, Donkey Kong Returns. Um, 
Donkey Kong Country Returns, sorry. Uh, I was I was really interested in those stats, actually, that Donkey Kong Country on the SNES sold 9.3 million units. It's the third best-selling SNES game. Donkey Kong 64 sold 5.3 million units. It's the eighth best-selling N64 game. Donkey Kong, like we said, sold 1.2 million units. It's the 28th best-selling GameCube game. So, like, the series fell off a cliff in the GameCube generation. We're not talking about Donkey Kong Jungle Beat today. That is more of a traditional Donkey Kong platformer, I suppose. You're still using the bongos, but this is strictly... This I would consider more of a spin-off to the Donkey Kong series than, like, a mainline Donkey Kong game. I think that we can all agree on that. Yeah, and it almost feels like this was them trying to figure out what they wanted to do with Donkey Kong. They had already done what they had strongly through the full story with King Karul and the SNES era, going through 64 and introducing the family. But then when GameCube came in, what's next for Donkey Kong? And this is a great example of maybe he can be our rhythm guy. Like, if we're going to go in this movement direction, is Donkey Kong ready to be the face of rhythm for us with his big, strong arms and his pals with the (laughs) movement? And ultimately, it shows that no. People wanted Donkey Kong and his friends to go on the adventures the way that they more traditionally did. So this was almost like a cool experiment that we got to enjoy of, is he ready to be the face of something? And he's ready to be the face of Bongos, but not <laughs> Nintendo's movement. And right. this is the first, like, that's a great point. Uh, but And this is the first time that, um, or I guess in the last, like, uh, six, seven years at this point, uh, that Rare did not develop Donkey Kong. Right. And and Rare was synonymous at this point with making these great Donkey Kong games. Yeah, almost almost 10 years at that point since Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, they had three amazing games on SNES. They had a popular game on N64. I'm not as big a fan on Donkey Kong 64 as most people are, unfortunately. But this was an issue for Nintendo when they lost Rare. They had to kind of look look at the look at themselves in the mirror and think, what are we going to do with our with our Donkey Kong franchise? And they went to Namco because they wanted to make a rhythm game with drums. And they uh, they went to Namco due to their work on Taiko Drum Master on PS2. They were a Mm. fan of that franchise. So that's how that uh, collaboration came about and the the bongos were an interesting move as well and this is pre guitar hero era as well so the musician peripheral era was just about to boom so nintendo was a little early to the game unfortunately if they had put this game out maybe two years later and maybe made it a wii game that you could hook up your wiimote to and then that was the that was the um the microphone in there to clap to it might have made a little bit more sense with that console but I, it was funny i was watching an interview the other day on youtube with reggie fizeme the mm-hmm. ex uh, nintendo ceo of america and he said that donkey konga is like his least favorite popular nintendo game yeah he he really did not want this to come out i was reading that too neil and i thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting yeah he was not a fan of it at all and um, yeah like basically lambasted it saying that he hated the idea of it and pushed back uh, against the japanese team Uh, because he found the game unfun to play and that he thought it would hurt the Donkey Kong brand. And that actually leads into my next question here for you, Kira. So you're in a unique position because you were someone who, I know you love the original Donkey Kong games, and uh, you played them, I'm sure, when you were a kid. So when you got Donkey Konga, what was your initial reaction to this? I want to just take a quick step back and say that people who dislike and don't support this game are traditionally very bad at it. So (laughs) I'd just like to throw it out there that maybe he was just really bad at it, and that's why he didn't think it was fun. But but no, when I got this, um, this was once again one of the games I acquired um, as an adult, I want to say early 20s, so I, I got on board late again. But I got it specifically because I was excited about Donkey Kong in a different way. Like, I loved the SNES versions, but by the third one, 
I was getting a little burned out uh, with the completionist spirit and trying to find all the mm -hmm. coins and do all the fun doodads in the maps. Whereas this was a Donkey Kong that I could have in bite-sized pieces and also get a little bit of a workout with my arms. Yeah. So sure. I, I kind of yeah. saw it as a win-win because I really like rhythm games. I love Donkey Kong, but I needed something that I could really do in bite-sized chunks here and there instead of the commitment when you sit down with the SNES. So it really fit the niche for me specifically quite nicely. That's that's actually really cool. I never thought of it that way. And mm -hmm. what one thing as well that I need to ask is that a big thing about music games and music in video games, I think specifically of Guitar Hero and Tony Hawk Pro Skater, is the set list. Did, did these games get you into music or discover new bands? I'm so glad you asked that because uh, when Mike earlier mentioned that he knew I was going to say Losing My Religion, <laughs> it's because this game introduced me to that song and R.E.M. I love that. I it's was awesome. aware of the song, of course, before this came, but this really put it together. It's like, wow, this is a bop, you know, and I looked up the actual song. Wow, R.E.M. has a lot of good stuff. Mm -hmm. So I legitimately credit this for getting me into R.E.M. And admittedly, there's some favorites in there that it helped me re-get into. Like, even though their rendition of All Star wasn't the best it did take me kind of down a nice memory lane into the first shrek soundtrack so it kind of had some new but also some nice nostalgia hits kind of a mixed bag yeah oh i mean like donkey Kong 2 all-star of course like you said bombastic losing my religion shiny happy people another rem song that's yes. on donkey Kong 2 great song now I realize that it's also R.E.M. <laughs> <laughs> we have The Anthem by Good Charlotte. Uh, we have I'm Pretty by TLC. We have It's Been a While by uh, Stained or Shinedown. One of those bands. I forget which one. <laughs> there also is Stained. kind of a bongo song there. I mean, La Bamba is pretty close yep. to a bongo song if you're going to have one. I agree. And La Bamba, great choice there. And in Europe, uh, they, again, had some songs that we didn't have in North America. They had That's the Way I Like It uh, by Casey and the Sunshine Band, which would be a good bongo song. Uh, Jungle Boogie, which I can't believe oh. was not in the North American version. And Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a drum song, though. It's a, no, that's a drum song. You can absolutely bongo to that. <laughs> I suppose so. If I had them in front of me, I'd do it right now. <laughs> now, like, I have a feeling this game didn't get a ton of kids into playing real bongos. Do you guys think that it had that effect? Because, like, I don't think it did the same way Guitar Hero or uh, skateboarding games did. Uh, pro probably not, yeah, and to the same respect. Uh, I'm not sure how... That's going to be a no for me, too. <laughs> I'm not sure how accessible bongos are. I mean, I guess they are one of the cheapest things you can get at a music shop, to, to be fair. But and you can play along with, like, any song with bongos, really. But didn't you just say the game didn't sell because parents didn't want to give their kids drums? Exactly, correct. Why would they, didn't they want to give them actual drums? <laughs> exactly, they didn't want to give the kids the gateway drug that is drums to, to children. No, 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 it's the, it's the gateway drums. Ah, <laughs> very <said>. good. <laughs> this game also has like the pinnacle of uh, little sibling mode, if you will, in the multiplayer, where one player gets to play the drums and the other player claps. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. I didn't know that that was I real, that. so I, I don't know how you would police that or monitor that as one like that. You could just that's just playing single player, but with another 
person who can only clap. <laughs> I guess the benefits of being an only child is you don't know about things like that, but wow, that's amazing. Hey, I, 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 I hear you. I, I, well, yeah, because my parents actually never got me uh, this game. I, I remember seeing it, but I never asked for it. I think I thought it was silly, to be honest. I was it like, is. I was like, I'm above bongos. I'm, I'm 12 years old. I don't need to play this. And then um, I did play it at friends' houses, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. But by the time I had played it, you know, we're looking at the Wii era, and so it was just I wasn't gonna ask my parents for games on a GameCube that uh, when I had just gotten a Wii. So that's kind of where I went with that. You're like, I'm moving on to Wii music now, mom. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Uh, you know what? If if they had combined some Donkey Konga elements with Wii music, that could have been something. But yeah, yeah, they're they're not quite the same. Yeah, I thousand percent agree on that one. Yeah, it was too bad that we didn't get to see Donkey Konga again for for the Wii or things. But we did like see Donkey Konga three for Japan. What what information mm-hmm. do you even have about that game, Neil? Yeah, Donkey Konga 3 was released in Japan only. It was released on March 17th, 2005. They had a much more uh, sped up process of these games coming out. Uh, so they had the entire franchise out like a year before we did, basically. And this game was was way bigger than the other two. It, this game featured 57 tracks. None of them were repeated from previous games. Uh, that's 20 more tracks than the first two games. Uh, 35 of the tunes include classical pop and game selections with uh, an extra 21 songs from Famicom games. It even featured songs from uh, hit animes from the time like Naruto and Dragon Ball Z. Because Namco, obviously, they had the sure, uh, the license yeah. for those, those shows. So, yeah, I really wish we got that. Even on Wii, it would have been really cool. I mean, it would give us an extra game to pick up, I suppose. But uh, it feels kind of strange. This one only came out in Japan, but I can only assume that it was because of the poor reception to the first few, uh, two games here in North America. Yeah, that's a little sad. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would have I would have loved that. And that's one thing that I did love about the Donkey Konga games was that there was a lot of Nintendo music included in this. Like, I thought that was really cool. Obviously, curious of the Pokemon anime theme, which is technically not Nintendo, but there was... It's uh, close. It's close enough. <laughs> There's a Super Mario Bros. theme. There's a Zelda theme as well. Like, like that was really, really cool. That's what I actually I remember the most of. Hey, you're forgetting one of the best originals in there. The, the DK, DK rap. rap. Yes. yes. I was going to say, we need to talk about the DK rap. I'm so glad they brought that in. Did you ever get to that song on an expert level? <laughs> I like that you think I moved past the very earliest level. <laughs> so I drum at question. my own beat. Um... Gotcha. <laughs> you just clapped the entire time playing that one. That is such a great song. I can't believe Nintendo doesn't lean into that song more often. I know. But that's another licensing hell thing that I'm sure that that song is stuck with Rare or something. Probably. But uh, this game, well, Donkey Konga 1, was in 1001 video games you must play before you die, Neil. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you read it for us? I'm interested to know why 2 and 3 were not there. <laughs> well, I think it was kind of a combination of them. But basically, I suppose they say the best rhythm action games have always been the games with the best peripherals, and the bright orange bongos were a welcome addition to the band. The soundtrack features some 30-odd songs featuring several of, N- several of Nintendo's infectious soundtracks, including fan favorites from the Mario and Zelda series. Donkey Konga ticks all the boxes for a superb music game with tub-thumpingly... Oh, that's pretty good. Tub-thumpingly great peripheral. <laughs> But it was not a big hit coming out near the end of the ill-fated GameCube's life. Not such a problem now, considering it is still compatible with the popular Wii. Which is true, you can play this on the Wii and with those the, the Donkey Konga bongos. That's actually how I play it. Yeah, there we well, go. I guess you could also technically play it 
you could also technically play it with the Switch too, couldn't you? Because it's it's got a GameCube uh, slot, so you just hook that up to the Switch the uh, with the Smash Bros. Uh, dock. Finally, I can play Dark Souls with my bongos. Well, basically, the left and the right bongo is just it's moving left and right, and then start is kind of like your A button, I guess, or clapping would be the A button. So you could play very basic games with those like bongos. Dark Souls. Like, like, sure. like Dark Souls. <laughs> Any of the Souls series, I'm sure you could. Maybe, maybe a little Elden Ring, yeah. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to try that. Those aren't on Switch, but you know. <laughs> Not yet. But uh, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say about these great, uh, fantastic Donkey Konga games? There is, in fact. Um, Nintendo has been talking about doing their next generation of console. And if they start to go into the VR space... This game could give Beat Saber a run for its money in a new virtual rendition where you are bongoing except using VR. Mm, so I totally. kind of hope that maybe we get our own version of 3 in a VR experience one day. I, I mean, I would love that. Like, I think that's perfect. And I think that's where this would live uh, in the kind of the present day or I guess in, in a couple of years. Here's hoping. Mm-hmm. Here's hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping for Donkey Kong anything yeah. at this point. Oh it's been God. so long since Tropical Freeze. Jeez, get him out of retirement, damn it. Was Tropical Freeze really the last one? Yeah, they put it out on Wii U, and then the Switch port came out in 2018, I believe, to the early 2018. So, yeah, that's technically the last one, which was like 2015 and 2016. It's been a while. Wow. He's more retired than some of those wrestlers. He's He is now Cranky Kong. <laughs> Ooh. He's, yeah. He has turned into... <laughs> Cranky Kong died. <laughs> and Donkey Kong replaced them. I think that's an excellent point, though, that like Donkey Konga could definitely exist in some kind of VR peripheral space where you don't necessarily need a bongo set in front of you. You just need that headset on and you're playing drums. You can have oh my God. more than two heads of the drum, too, if you wanted. <laughs> little well, Neil, Neil, uh, with that, I think it's time for you to read the back of the cases of these two games. All right. Sounds good. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. I just want to put Kira's uh, description of the game again. (laughs) Her her back of the case is way better. (laughs) Right? Jungle Boogie. Grab your DK bongos and let the rhythm move you. Clap your hands and drum to the beat in over 30 songs, from kids' medleys to classical remixes and pop favorites. Donkey Konga puts the music in your hands. Then we have Donkey Konga 2. The beat is back. Grab some friends and your DK bongos and drum along to a fresh set of all-new chart-topping tracks like It's Been a While, Wish You Were Here, and You Don't Have to Call. With over 25 new hits from pop and hip-hop to R&B and dance, you'll never run out of ways to rock. And we didn't even actually fully mention this, but the songs that are in Donkey Konga aren't the actual songs. I think we have to clarify that. Yeah, they are covers, which was the same for Guitar Hero as well. People will forget that the first couple of Guitar Hero games weren't the real songs. Yeah. I thought they were. In my brain, I was like, yeah, I was playing Fat Lip and Guitar Hero 2. You're not. You're playing covers. It wasn't until Guitar Hero 3, Three yeah. I believe, was when they actually started to put actual tracks in there. Um, but yeah, Nintendo did not have the uh, the ability to put Good Charlotte as they were in the, in the in the game. <laughs> yeah, if you if you listen to All Star, you you know it's not real. No, yeah, that one is uh that one I I noticed like right away, kind of uh, uh playing again or like watching gameplay again. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, they they had the shape of an L on their forehead. 
It's a great way to close it out. Well, thank you very much, Kira, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. And we will see you again very soon when we talk about Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. I can't wait to slap the uh, podcast bongos with you guys again. Oh, God, (laughs) can we cut that? Um, Thanks again for your time, guys. Uh (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Catch you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, Kira. Bye. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Kira, for coming on today, giving all your uh, factotums about uh, Donkey Konga, everything you have to say, all your memories, uh, and just really good perspective to have because Kira is a big, big Donkey Kong fan. I know she's uh, always, she. Well, I used to work with Kira, and she would play the Donkey Kong country soundtrack uh, on her computer while she was doing work, and I remember thinking, like, okay, this is a cool, cool girl. Did she ever come to work and start playing the bongos while you were trying to get work done, or did that ever happen? Unfortunately, not. Yeah, which is, I think, a big miss on her part. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that would have been a, that would have been a power move, like on your last day, just like f it, I'm playing Donkey Konga in in while during business hours. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I would have. Uh, I would, especially as a project manager, it's a good way to you know get people going. I think. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a great like, especially if you had four people in there. It's like yeah. a tribal kind of drum beat thing going. I think that there's a huge uh potential there for like a team building exercise with with donkey Konga. i think so too neil but another nintendo published game that was a rhythm i guess you could call it a rhythm music game was yeah. mario uh well dance dance revolution mario mix that's right that that mouthful of a title dance <laughs> dance revolution mario mix was released on october 24th 2005 developed by konami and hudson soft it's published by Nintendo. This is a GameCube exclusive. Priced today at around $40. Rates a 7 out of 10. This is a rhythm dance slash fitness game, if you will, also known as Exer Gaming. Uh, if you wanted to pick up the game today, like I said, it's around $40. The dance mat, if you want the original Mario Mix dance mat, Ooh. is $50. Uh, but I picked up a, I guess it's the Oni brand, O-N-I brand of dance mat from a Value Village several years ago for $5. And that works on the GameCube and the PS2 for any of the dancing games. So... I feel like if you can track one of those down, that's a way better bet. Um, but yeah, Dance Dance Mario Mix was uh, basically a, I guess, a clone of D- DDR, Dance Dance Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, with the Mario skin. The reason why Hudson Soft is in there is because these this game uses basically the same engine as Mario Party. Oh, not basically, Neil. Yeah, it is. It's, it is. Yeah, <laughs> fair. Everything. There's just no dancing in Mario Party games. Yeah, it, and it, it's this was one thing that actually really threw me off playing it this mm. week. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, exactly what was going on here. And yeah, uh, it's identical to Mario Party. I think Mario Party yeah. 5 might be the actual um, assets and everything that they're, they're, they're bringing over. Maybe Mario Party mm-hmm. 6. It's hard to, to pinpoint exactly which one. But yeah, it kind of took me out of it because it was just completely identical to Mario Party 5. And okay. it felt like I was, you know, playing... Uh, uh, just a mini game, like just a really long yeah. extended mini game. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, I, I like the idea. I would prefer the idea of Nintendo with their spinoffs because this could have been more of a spinoff series. Yeah. If if they had gone with a different art style, like I like the fact that the mainline Mario games are the, you know, Mario Galaxy and Mario Odyssey and Mario Sunshine. Like they have a specific art style, and the sports games are somewhat bland. I think Mario Strikers is the only one that kind of cuts through that mold. Uh, but then having the Mario Dance, uh, the Mario Dance games, having a completely different art style again, I think that that would have been a really good way to diversify the series a little bit. But yeah, using the same engine to a T was was a little bit of a little bit of a cop out. Yeah, I think, and it almost feels like I don't want to say cheap, but it does. It kind of feels cheap mm-hmm. to me. And 
you know, I think they did have an opportunity, like you said, to really reinvent this and really take the DDR craze that was happening at the time mm-hmm. and really stamp it and be like, this is the Nintendo version of it. And like they do to an extent, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, I, I think they missed the mark a bit, Neil. But what, why don't you uh, get into the stats there? Sure. Well, I want to start with the plot of the game, because I think that this does have one of the best plots of any Mario game, because <laughs> Waluigi is front and center, and it's just... He's it's the just villain! Ban- it's bananas. So Waluigi steals four music keys, which can grant wishes, from Truffle Towers. Uh, so when he tries to steal the door... or. When he tries to open the door that contains these keys, three of them scatter across the Mushroom Kingdom, uh, leaving him with only one key. From a distance, Toad watches these events unfold and rushes to tell Mario uh, or Luigi, depending on which character the player chooses, who then rushes off to retrieve the missing keys. Uh, The keys are recovered by completing tasks for other characters, uh, which completely involves dancing. So you basically, you (laughs) dance fight against Koopas and Goombas. Uh, You have to dance to, you know, cross rivers. And it's just a, it's such a great plot. Like, I can't hate it for that, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I love the fact that Waluigi is here in his own game, basically. I know, right? He's he's the main villain. Even, like, Wario isn't isn't with him, at least for that part. He's It's 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 all him. Although we do get the reveal, spoiler alert, that it was Bowser all along. Of course, Who of was course. controlling him, and then Bowser is the final boss you have to dance, have a dance-off against, and... Uh, yeah, which was a little interesting, but um, but yeah, I mean, this game is is interesting and it's a cool game. But I think it's a game that a lot of people forgot even existed. You yeah. know, it kind of came out with not a lot of fanfare, not much marketing. It came out in two thousand five. Uh, this is not a great time for the GameCube, as we know now. Uh, mm-hmm. And even Kira, who was on just earlier, she's a self professed DDR like fanatic. She loves DDR. Played it a ton when she was a kid, mm-hmm. and um, she has. She had no idea this game even existed. She was mind blown that this this thing uh, was even out. Well, the music in the game is not what people wanted. Like, DDR was huge at the time. This is probably the tail end of the DDR craze, I would say, because Guitar Hero was taking over and soon mm-hmm. Rock Band was coming out. So the DDR trend was definitely on the decline. And I, I remember DDR specifically because of those songs, those pop, you know, J-pop kind of songs. And even, like, I remember that song Butterfly being really, really good. And this one is just kind of remixes of The Mushroom Kingdom, which is fine. But it would have been so much cooler if this was more of a celebration of Nintendo games. If they can only stick within that Nintendo uh, I guess Nintendo umbrella of music. They can't go out and get licensed songs, which I'm not quite sure why they didn't. They did it with DK with Donkey Konga. They could have done it here too, which would have been like a neat way to kind of tie in the real world with the Mushroom Kingdom world, I suppose. Yeah. But I would have preferred to have seen like like the Pokemon theme song in there or the Donkey Kong jungle rap in there. Like like bring yes. it all together and let us dance to it. We have this Donkey Konga game where we're we're bongoing to, to these songs. Now we have the Mario game where it's like Mario Congo where you're dancing to the songs. I think it could have been a cool way to, to kind of tie the two games together I, yeah i just think it's like uh, donkey Kong was clearly the more innovative of the two here you know this mm. just feels like well we of course it's a reskin of mario party 5 but it, it's also just it, it doesn't feel like nintendo innovated on anything which is a rare it's a, a rarity in the gamecube era uh you know for better or for worse at almost every triple a or like every nintendo published game that we have in the gamecube era is trying to innovate on the past on the games before it yeah i kind of share the the 
blame, I guess, if you want to call it that, with Nintendo. They are the publishers. But I also want to just, I guess, call out Konami on this one, too. Like, Konami was not great at supporting the GameCube at all. Like we said at the beginning of the episode, they were great at supporting Nintendo's handhelds with, uh, we got those uh, amazing Castlevania games on the Game Boy Advance and the the DS, but the GameCube didn't get nearly the same love that they were giving to the PS2 at all. And and this does no. feel like just a half-assed DDR game that they put out. And yeah, Nintendo had a lot of say in what was going on. They were the publishers, but I don't really blame Hudson Soft on this because I think no, that they were no. only credited for the engine. I doubt that they had much else to do with this game other than that. So definitely it's a shared shared blame between konami and nintendo for this one uh yeah i totally agree with that and there are a lot you know there are a lot of positives about this game um yeah it's fun to play for sure ddr just is in generally like fun to play uh there's a bunch of modes that free play is really where this game excels mm-hmm. uh, i find a lot of the mini games are you know whatever but um the, the free play stuff is is really really cool yeah, the mini games, like it's where almost every Mario spin-off game shines, like a Mario Party game. And and this does feel a lot like a Mario Party game, just instead of using yeah. a controller, you're using the dance mat. And if you don't have a dance mat, you can use a controller if you want to, I suppose. You're just using the, the D-pad or the joystick to play. But yeah, like hammering on Goombas on uh, on the, the sort of four pipes is really fun. I like that mini game. Um, but yeah, like there's not a ton of replayability with this one. Like I can't imagine playing this game for hours and going back to it with, with huge, you know, nostalgia goggles. Like we talk about with most other Mario games on the GameCube and, and other consoles. Um, actually it's kind of weird how I got this game. Cause I was thinking about mm. it this week. Like where the hell did I get this yeah, game? Yeah. I don't from? remember I've... you owning this. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no memory of like, I never got it from, from a game store. I don't remember picking it up from value village. And then I was like, oh Yeah. My sister's one of my sister's boyfriends in university just gave me a whole bunch of games. He oh. he was a weird dude. He was a bit of a dick, but uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> one of the nice things about him was he gave me a whole bunch of video games, specifically GameCube and uh, and DS games. And this was one of the few games that I kept. The rest I just traded in for money because I already had like some of them, like Metroid Echoes and uh, not Metroid Echoes. Sorry, the DS one. Uh, I forget the name of it now, but he gave me, you know, Mario Party 7, which I already had, and Dance Dance Revolutions Mario Mix, with no dance pad, by the way, which was, that was the dick move, really, just, what am I supposed <laughs> yeah. to, thanks, but what am I supposed yeah, that, to that do that is with a this? dick move. <laughs> Luckily, I, I finally found the dance pad at uh, Value Village a couple of months or years later, and now I can play it, finally, but yeah, that's where I got this game from, but it was so weird how, like, I have this shelf now of, what, like, 80 or 90 GameCube games, and I'm starting to get to the point now where I have no idea where these games came from, but uh, that's how I got this game, but I have no memory of it back in the day being on shelves or like in magazines i don't remember the marketing behind this game at all no and you can tell that they didn't go full with the marketing which is kind of too bad but mm-hmm. I, I i find it interesting why they wouldn't have just waited uh and put this out on the wii you know yeah uh, like they, donkey konga yeah, yeah like, well i mean at least donkey konga at least in japan was out in 2003 so like like Wii yeah. was far away from that but sure. but this one was out in 2005 like it feels like they had an opportunity to just wait, but maybe they thought the DDR craze w- would be over, which was true, because yeah. DDR is a lot more fun in an arcade uh, than it is in your own home, which I'm yeah. sure people realized. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's a really strange game to talk about because it is a Mario game, so you feel like it needs its due. You're like, well, it's it's Mario, like it's this, mm-hmm. is, a, this is like a AAA, this is a big game. But um, you know, I was reading how Nintendo really didn't have anything to do with uh with this game at all it was really just they handed over the keys to mario and friends were like take it away konami like make this ddr game and that's a pretty rare thing nintendo doesn't really ever do that the only time i think they have ever done that was would be for uh the mario rabbits games 
Yeah, it, sometimes it works. Mario Rabbit's being probably one of the better uh, examples of that happening. This yeah. is not one of those. And like we talked about how this game has a terrific plot, you know, it features Waluigi and, spoilers, Bowser. None of that is in the box art at all. Like, I'm just looking at my case right now, and the cover is just Mario in some kind of a psychedelic club. He's breakdancing, obviously, and it's it's a Mario game. I get he has to be on the front of the cover, but I would have preferred something a little bit more different because this isn't just a, a Mario game on his own. There's a lot of side characters here, and yeah. the game does have a fair amount of charm about as much as a Mario Party game does have, but that does not come through on, on this case, in this case at all. And like you said, they are trying to cash in on the DDR craze at the time, but I would just recommend picking up DDR. I agree. I agree. Why don't you read the back of the case, Neil, while you, while you have it right there in front of you? I do, yes. Get down with Mario. Shake it to over 25 dance songs from remixes of classic Nintendo themes to familiar favorites with five difficulty levels. Dancers of all abilities can get into the groove. Don't you love dancing to dance songs? <laughs> dance songs. <laughs> I'm a big fan of dance songs. <laughs> oh, man. But we did get a game somewhat similar to DDR, Mike, but not by Konami. This time, this game is by Mad Cats. I'm, of oh course, talking God. about MC Groove's Dance Craze, which was released on November 22nd, 2004. Developed and published by Mad Cats. That's right. The company that gave you your crappy controllers that you gave to your friends also gave you a dance game. This is a GameCube <laughs> exclusive. Priced today at a whopping $10.00 rates a six out of ten which is generous this is a rhythm and dance game also what you'd consider an extra game a six out of ten is extremely generous if <laughs> if, uh, if mario ddr had a seven out of ten you're saying this is one below oh no this is like a two out of ten three out of ten this might be the worst looking game on the uh. gamecube neil yeah, I know. It's a budget title. And, and for a rhythm game, you don't want a game to look rough. You need to know what's happening on screen because timing is everything in these games. You need to know the notes or the directional uh, instructions that are coming up. And the timing doesn't work. No. The, uh, and so, you know, full disclosure, I did not play this game because I do not own this game and I don't have my uh, dance gamepad with me uh, at all times, unfortunately. But I did do a lot of research on this because I watched one video and they were really trashing on it. So I was like, okay, okay, is this game actually that bad? And it seems like, yes, from from all the, the research uh, I did, uh, people were really uh, saying that this game is close to unplayable. Uh, not only because it's you know, just kind of a cheap budget title game, but the fact that it doesn't really work. It's really hard to actually uh, get the scores, like get it proper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the arrows appear, they start off as what I what I can... As, what I can see is that the arrows start off halfway up the screen where a traditional dancing game, they scroll up from the very bottom. So you don't have as much time to understand what you need to be doing. And the graphics in the background are, are somewhat distracting. So it's kind of yeah. hard to know what to do, which is something very difficult for a developer to do with, with a game like this, or even something like what we talked about with VR, like Beat Saber, like mm -hmm. part of making these games fun is that the player needs to find the game challenging, but not challenging because they can't tell what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Like the 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 user experience, like the UX is is awful. The UI is awful. Like it just like yes. like all of it is is bad. It's just so, uh, you know, this is this is the product of a of a time when their updates didn't exist. Clearly, right? Mm -hmm. And it's um it's a finished game. Like the game is done. It just <laughs> it was very much a decision to just go in this extremely cheap fashion. And yeah. and yeah, like I could not. I don't know how people play this because I could not understand how to actually do it with like uh, with the way that they did it with like you said it coming from the start and going out with those arrows like that was really yeah. really weird. It was and it is a cheap game and 
no no surprise, it came from Mad Cats, which was known for being a relatively cheap company. Like they provided cheap peripherals for games. Like let's be honest here. You get what you pay for. You do. They 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 have a history of publishing okay games i suppose like they published rock band 3 and 4 which those games worked at least like they weren't developed by mad cats i understand but they mm-hmm. also published real world golf damaging pacific squadron 3 these are games that i don't know about but they had a history of publishing games this is the only one that they actively developed which i guess there's a reason why they only ever developed <laughs> one <laughs> yeah, yeah like i wonder like what the development team for mad cats even was like did they have to get a, a development team just to make this game and then immediately got rid of them like i guess like, was... i can't imagine development for this game was much more than six months like it it couldn't have been like (laughs) the average for this this time was really less than a year for most of these kind of not even a cross-platform game but for a i don't even know what to call this game it's a gamecube exclusive but it's not on this feels like just the ultimate multi-platform game that was on game boy color and the gizmondo and the engage and the gamecube (laughs) like it doesn't feel like a gamecube exclusive game. i know I actually have memories of a friend of mine having this game. Cal, I think, had this oh. game. Because at the time, I was, like I said, I was obsessed with these rhythm games. I loved it when friends brought their PS2 and their dance mat over to, to my house to play. And I went over to his place one day. We were, play, we were probably playing Nightfire and Clone Wars or whatever. But I remember seeing hooked up to his GameCube was a dance mat. And I was like, what the heck is this? Like, there's no DDR game on GameCube. I've looked in every every Zellers that I can find, and there is no <laughs> there is no DDR game out there. This is before you could Google stuff. Um, but he had <laughs> some form of Dance Dance Revolution on there, and it was this MC Groove's Dance Craze game, which I never pursued because I knew even back then it looked weird. Uh, he may have also had the Mario Dance game, I suppose, but I just remember thinking, no, I just want DDR and that's it. But So I do remember one friend having this game back in the day, but since then I've only seen it a handful of times at uh, retro video game stores and I have no no uh, desire to pick it up. I actually see this quite often at, at video oh, game you? stores. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a, it's usually priced as it should be, so sure. <laughs> which is fair. But um, some selections from the soundtrack: we have "Best of My Love," we have "Walking on Sunshine," we have "That's the Way I Like It," uh, we have "Parents Just Don't Understand" by DJ Jazzy Jeff, uh, we have mm. "Shake Your Groove Thing," "Irresistible" by Jessica Simpson, which is wow, that's a that's a time <laughs> capsule, and um, and "Freaks Come Out at Night" by Houdini. Uh, mm. and so just like looking at that soundtrack, the first thing I thought of was like, where are the current songs? Mo- yeah. Other than Jessica Simpson, mm-hmm. these are mostly, uh, songs from like the late seventies and then early nineties for the yeah. most part, or like mid nineties. And just, it's so like, could they not get the licensing? Like, or I guess assume that no, Mac has, money. Yeah, yeah. Mac cats didn't want to pay the licensing. So they just thought, okay, let's just find some songs that are probably pretty cheap. Yeah. They, that, that's that's 100 percent what it is like the easiest answer to these questions is usually money yep um but yeah no the uh like i said at the beginning of the episode uh, one uh legal issue that uh mad cats faced with this game was that they were actually uh they were actually sued by konami konami filed a complaint against rocksor games which was the company the developer under uh, mad cats claiming an infringement of rights related to their dance game in the groove um that was uh the lawsuit was settled in 2006 and the uh, the settlement was never mentioned in the press, but yeah, like that that's that was very common with any kind of dance or rhythm game back in the day. Someone was suing someone else over something to do with a gameplay patent or a, a song right. And yeah, they definitely went with earlier generation of songs. Earth, Wind and Fire was on was in like every video game it feels like with uh, with an instrument. It seems it seems like it too. And, and they also had a lot of club mixes of some of these songs that were 8 minutes long, Neil. Oh no. It was so like a lot of these were oh, and I'm like I can't imagine 
playing this for eight minutes. Like, my God. Jeez, Louise. That's brutal. That's way too long. That was like the rock band song. Uh, what was it? Uh, green Fields and what bluegrass and green what uh, what's the song you know i don't i don't Uh, (laughs) what do you uh... there is a song in rock band man someone's screaming at their radio right now listening to me it's blue bluegrass and high tide i forget but the song was like five minutes long and at one point it's like just the drum playing for like (laughs) three of those minutes it's insane but uh yeah that's way too long for a game that is supposed to get you active but not make you want to uh, kill yourself (laughs) and ign called this game playable but not fun (laughs) <laughs> well i mean that's half of what a video game should be i suppose <laughs> well with that neil let's hear the back of the case and let's see if they can uh make us try and buy this ten dollar game oh i doubt it the back of this case is <laughs> is a lot are you ready to bust some moves step into the extreme mc grooves dance craze and improve your dance talent in time with some of the best dance hits let the tunes play and dance on Featuring hit songs by, like you said, Jessica Simpson, Jewel, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Peaches and Herb, and many more. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, indeed. I love that there's like a dance workout mode in this game where it says, get your heart beating to the music and get in shape while having a blast, which is just the same as the regular dance mode, except I guess it counts your calories or something. Yes, it, that's it, right. Yeah, there is yeah. a calorie counter on there. and uh, you can I'm also, sure that's accurate. <laughs> you can also put the volume all the way down, which I thought was really interesting that they actually had a... An, uh, a setting that you can just turn the volume down so you just don't listen to the song you just look at the prompts so it's your tv remote basically. <laughs> i know that's what i was thinking i was like why why is this uh, a thing mad cats thank you for everything that you did back in the day we'll uh thank you for those memory cards yeah thank you for the memory cards <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the last game of the day here is karaoke revolution party which was released on november 8th 2005 that's right one year and uh, six rhythm games in developed by harmonics published by mm-hmm. konami this is a gamecube exclusive again priced today at around 20 dollars. the game rates an 8 out of 10 it's another rhythm and music game of course Hey everybody, future Neil here. I'm just in the middle of editing this episode and I realized that I made a quick error. This is not a GameCube exclusive. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. I apologize for the mistake. If you're a PS2 or an Xbox owner, you can go out and buy this game. Now, back to the show. Mike, there are nine games in the Karaoke Revolution Party series. Yeah, I had no idea that the series even existed before we uh, did this podcast, Neil. Uh, me neither, but it makes a whole lot of sense now where Rock Band came from because uh, this is a harmonics game in 2005, and it's basically combining, or it's basically now taking what they made, which was Guitar Hero. They're not doing guitars. This is all uh, vocals, audio, if you want to sing 50 of the hit songs on the game, but they mm-hmm. basically combined this with Guitar Hero and then came out with Rock Band just a few years later. Yeah, that's right, yeah, and and so you can see like definitely this was the part of the, the bedrock of, of where they were going. Also Amplitude, of course, which we, mm-hmm. we did mention. Um, I did have a little funny thing I wanted to say about Amplitude uh, before we sure. move on to karaoke, uh, is that Microsoft actually told Harmonix that uh, they could never make a game without a specific like peripheral uh, uh, mm-hmm. for like a music or rhythm game, and that's why it got released for the PS2 only. Uh, and Nintendo, I guess, didn't have a part of this, but they were so impressed with this. And that's one of the reasons that karaoke actually did end up coming to the GameCube this time. Interesting. I wonder why Microsoft said that you can't make a rhythm game without a peripheral because PlayStation had Parappa the Rapper at that point, And that game was huge. I know, but but Microsoft, I guess, didn't like that idea. So hmm. who knows? But yeah, well, I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit that I found while reading uh, the 1001 video games uh, entry for Amplitude. 
Very nice, very nice. But one thing about this peripheral game that I do love, and this is something that's very common with most singing games back in the day, is that the microphone does not understand what you're saying. It only picks up the pitch of what you're saying. So you could sing this song completely wrong, wrong lyrics, but still get a perfect score, which I used to love that. I think one of the rock band games, you could do that too, where you don't sing the words right, but you could still master it. I believe that's easy mode with the microphone. Yeah, that that, that GameCube microphone peripheral <laughs> was not great either. We no. talked about it a little bit in the Mario Party episode because, of course, it was used for Mario Party 6 and 7, and it, it never worked. Like, there was always something wrong with it, and I hated that stupid thing. Yeah. Uh, and because it just I, I would always get frustrated with it and um, I, I reading comments and stuff and, and, and reading about this game I, it seems like it had similar issues but for the most part it did work enough to to mm-hmm. play these games and the first thing I thought of when watching gameplay was guitar uh, like rock band or guitar hero yeah uh, just based on how they had the audience uh, how they had you, you know, center stage. You could do a character selection, like you could create your own character. There was a lot of time and effort put into this game, which I thought was was really well done. There was even crowd reaction too. Yeah. If you were positive or negative, depending on how your performance was, which is very Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Oh, I yeah. love I love the stepping stones from Guitar Hero to Rock Band that Harmonix had. I feel so bad for that company in a way, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just cool that we got like the, the we almost got. A guitar hero on on the GameCube. You know, this is this is honestly as if you want if you like Guitar Hero and you like that franchise, this is honestly a cool game to pick up and play because it is so similar. It's a neat little uh, neat little history piece to own in your collection for sure. And what's fun is that you can also, if you if you're so inclined, is you can combine your microphone with your dance pad and you can sing and dance in unison, which not a lot of games did that back in this is a very early kind of seventh generation game to to try that like a lot of games did that especially with like the xbox connect and the wii uh it's kind of neat that like with enough nintendo peripherals you could have basically a performance like experience in your basement you just couldn't combine the bongos with those two things unfortunately that would have been the true power move would be to sing dance and play the bongos at the same time oh that would have been so good how can we get that going because that's basically rock band at that point oh my god that that we need that the world needs that today neil i know but uh there were other versions of this game mike uh the ps2 and the xbox and they each had their own little unique features as well the ps2 version in north america was bundled with a headset so you could dance like britney spears if you wanted to you didn't have to <laughs> hold on to that nintendo microphone it would have been really cool if we had that that's on the GameCube. cool i did yeah. not know that that's really I w- cool i would have absolutely loved that uh, the xbox version was the only version that featured downloadable songs since the xbox could con- connect uh properly to the to the internet that's that's actually I like that a lot, and you know this game, this game is honestly just the opposite of, of the last game, the Mad Cats game we just talked about. I know. In terms of just how there's so much love and, and time put into this game, there's so many little things. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorites is the uh, the plane that will fly by, and it says like it'll say different messages with your name on it. Yes. Um, so it'll say like uh, like Mike, will you marry me? <laughs> like stuff like that. But so uh, like that. You can already tell, like just by that, it's like there's a lot of uh, a lot of charm uh, to this game, and it's Harmonix. Like Harmonix was a really really good developer, so they made sure that this was a very playable game. Yeah, and that's something that these games had to really encompass back in the day was like going to a concert. Like going to a concert is not just like it's not just listening to the music; it's everything. It's you know yeah. when, when bands make references to past albums or past shows or something that happened earlier in the day or something interesting happening at the venue. That's all part of going to a show. Is like it's not all going to be staged and perfect and whatnot. And that's something that I think Guitar Hero lost the uh, I guess jumped the shark on or lost 
what, what am I looking for? Like, yeah, something jump the like, shark. Yeah, jump the shark works. on. Like, yeah, they kind of just got way too generic and nothing was very original anymore. I love that, like, they were able to include little things that make live shows live shows in this in this random little karaoke game. 50 songs, like I said, to pick from, too, which is no small uh, track list for a, for a music game back in 2000 and, 2005. They were all covers of hit songs, but still, like, that, that's a lot of songs. Like, you could get a lot of replayability with, with this game. What I thought was interesting, too, was that there was um, kind of the Superstar TV uh, mm. uh, kind of, I guess, map, you could call it, that they had. And it looks identical to the American Idol uh, stage. <laughs> and it's funny because they ended up doing a collaboration with American Idol for Karaoke Revolution. So um, we didn't get that on the GameCube, but I think we got it on the Xbox Okay. Uh, or or uh, probably PS2 as well. I was like, oh, that, that's a missed opportunity for the GameCube. I would have liked that. And of course, there are a lot of great songs, like you said, 50 of them. And some of uh, the selections I have here, we have Time of My Life. Uh, we have American Woman, the Lenny Kravitz uh, version, Call Me uh, by Blondie. We have Crazy by Aerosmith, Dust in the Wind. We have Pain by Jimmy Eat World, which was a, wow. a, a, a song that I was very happy to see on there, which would have been a new song in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, Take On Me by AHA. Time After Time, Uptown Girl, You're My Best Friend, uh, Who Can It Be Now, and Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. That's a great, That that's just, uh, those are just the highlights, obviously, but yes. yeah, that's a good playlist of songs. I can see that being, it's a great mix of like 80s, 90s, 2000s, like uh, it, it's enough to get like a tween or a teen into this game and also introduce them to songs that their parents listen to. Mike, I have to ask you though, before we close out this episode, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, mm-hmm. f- for a while, it was "What's My Age Again." Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that was that was my go-to. Uh, what about you? What about it's you, good, Neil? It's a good crowd pleaser. Mine has to be a Kenny Loggins song, probably "Danger Zone." That's good. Yeah, I no Loggins, the... Messina. No, 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 just Kenny Loggins. Only Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Specifically, Kenny Loggins, circa the Top Gun era. I'd have to go with that because I could easily turn away from the uh, the TV and sing it without the words. So I, that that's really when you know a good karaoke singer is when they can turn around from the screen and sing to the audience. That's true. That's very, very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are a couple of mini games too in Karaoke Revolution Party. There's a volleyball mini game which is Pong. It is literally Pong. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was that that was kind of fun. And there's a couple others as well in there. So uh, again, there's there's a lot of depth into this this game that you wouldn't have thought was was there previously. You know what this game kind of reminds me of, but with peripherals is uh, Pool Paradise. Yes, exactly. I I was thinking the same thing, Neil. Yeah, like that that level one. of charm, like they definitely put that level of love into it where they didn't need to. This is a karaoke game. You can yeah. you can chill on those extra those extra details, but I'm glad that they did nonetheless. Let's hit the back of the case of Karaoke Revolution Party and we will close out this episode. Sounds good. Grab your friends, plug in the mics, and get the party started. Transform your Nintendo GameCube into an interactive karaoke machine. 50 songs featuring classic favorites and chart-topping hits. Showcase your superstar talent in the sing and dance mode. Supports a dance pad controller, sold separately. Play team games, duets, head-to-head battles, and minigames. Put your vocal skills to the test in the KR Challenge. Fully customize your character's head, body, shape, clothes, and accessories. Then they've got all of the songs on the back there as well. Great, great box. I oh, think it's yeah. a pretty pretty good game. Pretty good game. Pretty good game. And yeah. with that, Neil, you know, what do you think you would recommend for our games of today? 
Yeah, yeah. Games I would suggest picking up today. This is actually a difficult one. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that you can probably miss the uh, MC Groove's Dance Party craze game. I think that's an what? easy that's an easy <laughs> skip, Mike. Unfortunately, do not put that in my stocking this Christmas. Uh, I think as a GameCube collector and as a Nintendo collector, the easy choice of the day is Donkey Konga with those bongos. Uh, it's a neat thing to own. Uh, for me, I, I'm I'm not to the same level that Kira is of loving that game. I think that it's a bit difficult to play, especially on a modern-day TV. There's quite a bit of lag. We didn't talk too much about that, but if you don't have a CRT TV, I've heard that it's quite yeah. a bit more difficult to play on a modern TV. So it's a bit difficult to go back to in that sense. But it's still something that like I don't think that we're ever going to see Nintendo do exactly like that again. Like We're never going to see a, bongo, a set of bongos on it GameStop shelves with a with a Donkey Kong game tied to it. So I think that that one or two, I only own two and I feel like that's enough. I think you only need one of these games personally. Um but yeah, Donkey Kongo one or two and the, the set of drums is my recommendation for today. But uh, how about you? Yeah, if you can find the bundle uh of with like the drums and everything in the game, like that that is a great pickup because that box is really cool too. It is. Yeah, I have mine with uh, Jungle Beat, which is, I like that one, actually, quite a bit more. Yes, yeah, yeah, the Jungle Beat one is also really cool, and I I own Jungle Beat now, too, so Mm -hmm. we'll be talking about that later in the year. But, uh, yeah, either the Donkey Kongas, um, you're you're good to pick up for sure. They're both very fun games, and I would say skip on DDR Mario, honestly. You're not really missing out that much. Uh, in, at least in my opinion, it's it's just Mario Party Five, but with <laughs> with DDR, and yeah. I, I and that doesn't really excite me, anyways. And I think Karaoke Revolution Party is going to be my dark horse here, though. I think that's a good pick, um, especially if you already have the mic um, for playing the Mario Party games or playing Odama. You know, you're you're looking good <laughs> to get the Karaoke Revolution because I think I'm going to actually try and pick that up. Yeah, I forgot how many games that that microphone was actually compatible with. Uh, it is a bit of a sleeper hit, the Karaoke Revolution Party on GameCube, and it's got so many other games. There's so many other games in the f- series, and they all rate pretty well, too. Like, it seems like that you can't really miss. They're all in the mid-70s to low-80s. So if you're a fan of karaoke and you don't want to shell out, you know, a machine or you don't want to go out in public, because, you know, who wants to go out in public anymore? Yep. Uh, definitely pick that one up to play uh, to play some karaoke at, at home. Yeah, it's it's harmonic, so you know what you're getting. It's if you like Guitar Hero, if you like Rock Band, you're mm-hmm. gonna enjoy this. It's hard. I, I find this episode very interesting because we were in that generation of Guitar Hero. We have a soft spot for these things, but I, I find it difficult to like recommend these games to someone not from that era. I'm really interested to know how this episode does with people who weren't in that junior high, high school era when these games came out. Like, would someone born in like 2015 be able to go back to these games and have fun with it? Like, it's really hard to say. It's hard to say. Yeah, but um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess to continue, Neil, where do you see rhythm games going on yeah. Nintendo hardware? I think I think I see them going the same way I see any rhythm game going on any <laughs> hardware. Uh, oh no, <laughs> that's with without peripherals for sure. Like I don't think we're ever going to see. It's going to take years to see Guitar Hero level of popularity peripherals coming back. Sure. Like there were tens of millions of plastic guitars out there in the world at one point. And I don't think we're going to see that for a long time because we all got, not bitten, but we just got fatigued on buying a new rock band, a new Guitar Hero game every three months. So I think rhythm games are definitely going to continue pumping along in their niche that they exist in right now, which is all just based on buttons and joysticks and in some cases movement on VR or with uh, with your camera or with your Joy-Cons. I think that's where we're going to see it more, like with the Ring Fits and the Beat Sabers. Yep. I think that's the best that we can probably see these games as and honestly that's it's more of a fleshed out experience than than just simply 
beating on bongos for a song and moving on to the next song. I like these games to incorporate story and introduce people to new music. Ultimately, that's what I love about these games is that it introduces people to to new songs. That's really what I'd like to see come out of this genre again is to is to see people get introduced to new music because these days it's so hard to find new songs. But what about you, Mike? Where do you see this genre going forward? I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with with what you said there. But for me, I really want it to go forward in the way that Kira talked about it in that VR space. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Beat Saber is definitely the, the big rhythm game right now. But rhythm games are very, uh, you know, very high and lows, right? Like they they'll Beat Saber is going to be everyone's favorite right now. But two years from now, no one will be talking about it. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like. Uh, there's definitely a big risk factor, which I think is a big reason why Nintendo hasn't tried to go back into the rhythm and music games that much, uh, because they know that it is, uh, you know, it is quite, quite risky. Uh, but I, I, I do see them doing something in the VR space in the future. Uh, definitely in terms of movement, Nintendo is always at the forefront in the movement game. So I, I can I can definitely see them trying something. It's hard to say what. I don't think it'll be the bongos. Um, I, I would love that. I, I would. I just if it would be really cool if they gave that as like a mode in like mm-hmm. a new a new rhythm VR AR experience or something of uh, of the for the next uh, next Nintendo console. It would be really cool if there was like a a bongo mode to just give a, a little nod back to the original Donkey Konga definitely a mode in a game i think that we're more likely to see nintendo explore more into the movement of games like like you said ar like vr for them seems like such a stretch i don't know how close we are to seeing nintendo fully embrace vr uh, but with their joy cons and their ar sensors and and like motion controls i think that's definitely what we'll see but like you said like i think that the bongos could definitely be be included in something like that without having us actually hit mm-hmm. physical drums but Mike, well, we're sitting in our basements uh, smacking away at uh, bongos playing the anthem by Good Charlotte. Why don't listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 98 of the GameCube is Cool podcast? On episode 98, Neil, we are talking about Rayman, my favorite character who who doesn't have any limbs. Uh, (laughs) We're going to talk about some Rayman games. We're also going to talk about iNinja and Scalar, two other platform games that we didn't talk about on the platform game episode because we had talked about too many games that episode already. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I get tired when we talk about sometimes 12 games. Yes, that's right. So that'll be, I think, about four games next week. And I'm really excited to talk about Rayman. Rayman is a, a pretty lasting um, lasting character in my mind who hasn't really got his due in recent years. We haven't seen too much Rayman, but honestly, every Rayman game that comes out is is usually quite good. Yeah, especially the, the 2D Rayman games from a couple of years ago. Those are a favorite for me in terms of 2D platforming games. I'm, I'm a big fan of that series too. He's on a bit of a hiatus too. Him and Donkey Kong, they're they're doing something or other uh, under underneath the, the surface. They're playing bongos or doing something while they're, someone's working on their games. But uh, until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 97 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everyone over there. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and join the weekly conversation on our discord channel just search the gamecube was cool share us with your friends and family tell your local club dj mike says hi (laughs) thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week see you later bye-bye gamecube over 600 games you've never heard of gamecube the product of what happens when you think inside the box gamecube that's my bongos oh you're playing your bongos there yeah
Yeah. Just always have them with me. Yeah. Don't forget to clap. There. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>